Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's Voices of Conservation Science. This is a podcast that focuses on people doing science that's then used to conserve natural resources. I'm Andrea Litt, your host for today's podcast. And today I'm here with Jake Williams, who's a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology. Welcome, Jake. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks I'm, for having me. Oh, I'm great. Happy to have you. Happy to learn more about your, about your work. So let's just start off by having you tell us a little bit about you. Well, should I just start at the beginning? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'm from uh, Michigan originally. I grew up in southwest Michigan, a town called Kalamazoo. Um, that's not a small town. Some people <laughs> are from there. Uh, <laughs> I went to Kalamazoo Central High School. And then stayed in Kalamazoo for my undergrad. Went to Western Michigan University, and then got sick of twenty-something years in Michigan. Had to come out west. And had you spent any time out west before before you headed that way? My mom actually moved out here just after I graduated high school, so I visited her a few times in college, and knew that I liked it. So it wasn't like a a huge step for me, but we weren't heading off into the complete unknown. No, exactly. Well, that's great. Um, so you majored in biology. I did. Okay. And so how did you make that transition to go from something as broad as biology to, to pursue a, a career in conservation? Well, as a, as a kid, I always liked, I always enjoyed being outside. Um, something that I've always loved. And, uh, at the university, I started as a chemistry major. And I, I, did, was, I started as a chemistry oh, major. That didn't last long for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was still it was a, like a biomedical school, so I, I didn't exactly like the coursework, but then I took, uh, took a zoology class, and the professor, Dr. Sharon Gill, was pretty great, and I did some ornithology work with her, and uh, that was that was huge for me to kind of transition away from the lab biology to ecological sciences, I guess. So would you say she was a person that was sort of fundamental in getting you into conservation or were there other people that were part of that journey? She definitely was, but uh, probably the biggest player was my uncle John. Um, he was my idol growing up and he does, I'm not a hundred percent sure what all his work is, but it's uh, climate science and he was doing uh, methane release out of wetlands for either just after his PhD or for his PhD. And uh, we used to go visit him at Arizona State University. And I used to, just, I don't know, I just loved it as a kid going to see him. And I always just wanted to be just like him. So That's great that you had that you had something pretty concrete to, to look at as you move forward. Yeah, it was, he was, I mean, he still is great. <laughs> so you were working on birds. Mm-hmm. But I think you know and work on fish. I do. How'd you make that transition? Um, I applied for a student conservation association internship um, my senior year of uh, my undergrad and got it. And it was for the Yellowstone Lake uh, Fisheries Program. Um, and they, I, so I started doing fish restoration work as just an unpaid intern um, out in Yellowstone and fell in love with it. Um, that's great. Yeah. Um, so in this profession, you know, you talked about sort of this unpaid internship kind of thing, um, in this profession, a lot of times it's sort of hard to break in or it's really competitive. So a lot of times we ask, um, 
people on this podcast about any hurdles they had during their during their their journey through here. Can you talk about any of those? Did you have any of those? Yeah, I feel like I've had quite a few hurdles, um, but the, they've really all been self inflicted on myself. <laughs> uh, I wasn't the best student in high school. Um, just, I mean, I don't want to talk bad about my high school, but just you didn't really have to be. So I wasn't. And then I wasn't prepared for college academically or mentally. I found out or looking back on it, I guess. And I just didn't do very well my first couple of years of undergrad just cause I, I don't know. I wasn't ready, wasn't matured and really care. I didn't think it mattered in life. <laughs> you have to see those connections. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so even getting into an unpaid internship was hard once I started applying just because of my first couple of years in school, just, I should have gone to community college or something or taken a year off, I guess. But I think just staying at it, staying persistent and trying to get something, um, is what overcame those, I guess. Um, and I also, I mentioned my mom lived out here and one time, one summer visiting her, I went down and just volunteered on some of their crews just to get to know people, uh, just to do something, see Yellowstone a little more, I guess. And that was big. I mean, I don't think they would have looked twice at my resume if I hadn't shown the initiative to show up and just volunteer my time with, without the internship or anything like that. Right. So it sounds like just really any opportunities that you could um, take advantage of to get more experience and then building on that experience was really important for you to overcome the the hurdles that you set up for yourself at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. Would you give somebody any other advice, somebody that was maybe in your shoes? What advice would you give them besides those things? Anything else? I would just say, if you know you like something, don't don't give up on it. Um because, I mean, the door will get shut in your face a lot. You just got to keep at it, and, and eventually that, it'll it'll work out. Keep that passion passion going for the things that you found interesting. Oh, yeah. So you're doing work in Yellowstone now, which obviously leads back to when you were volunteering there. So can you tell us a little bit about your current research? Um, yeah, I'm doing a acoustic telemetry project um, on the the invasive lake trout in Yellowstone Lake. And they've been a problem out there for a couple of decades now. And they're doing, there's a lot of money and a lot of work going into removing the lake trout. And uh, so I was brought on to do an acoustic telemetry study looking for their spawning grounds because uh, research shows that if you know where they're spawning, you can remove more adults. They're easier to, to capture on their spawning grounds. So we're looking into into finding those. And what do you think um, the most important or useful finding would be coming out of that work? Well, it'd be, it'd be great if I could find out that the lake trout weren't spawning anymore in Yellowstone Lake. And what's the, likely, <laughs> what's the likelihood of that? Not at all. Uh, so I think um, a big thing that I could find and that we're looking into is um, the Judas Technique. Um, is something that's used on terrestrial non-native species. Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, famously, there's, if you listen to another podcast, Radio Lab, they've got a good um, 
uh, episode back in 2014 about it titled Galapagos. And uh, it started, the Judas technique started on the Galapagos Islands on non-native goats that were introduced sometime in the, I don't know, with Christopher Columbus or Darwin, whenever, long <laughs> a time. long time ago. And they were trying to remove them with just aerial hunting and they could never eradicate them completely. So they decided to radio collar a couple goats and then use telemetry equipment to find the goats. And goats are social animals, so they are uh, form herds and then they would remove all the animals in the herd except those tagged goats. And then the goats would go refine another herd and the cycle would continue until all the goats were gone. And it worked really well. So there's been a little bit of that kind of dabbling with that in the, uh, in the aquatic world. Um, there's been a couple of studies on carp where they were targeting um, aggregations of common carp. And it showed that if you target these aggregations, you can do pretty well at removing them. So on Yellowstone Lake, the gillnetters start as soon as ice off, which is usually around May, and then they are gillnetting all year long. And their catch rates really tend to decline in June and July. Mm-hmm. Uh, lake trout aren't moving around, or we don't really know where they're going kind of thing. Um, so last year we, we had a bunch of tags on, and we're tracking all season long outside of the spawning season, and then relaying those positions to gillnetters to hopefully increase their catch rates um, and use these Judas fish uh, to help target where the, uh, the adult lake trout are going in the lake. And that's something if we, if it turns out that that works out really well, that would be, I think, huge for non-native species removal in general. Yeah. Non-native species and particularly non-native fish are a problem in lots of different places, not just this species in this lake. Yeah. So it could go, I mean, you could do it anywhere and, and if, it, if, if it's a cost-effective method, it would be the real thing. And no, that's hopefully really, it could really help out. That's really interesting. Any strategies that we can use to become more efficient at, at preserving our native species um, I think is a really, it's a really helpful, interesting thing. Yeah. So uh, the wild card question of this, this podcast um, throughout the, the ones that have happened has been, what's your favorite animal? <laughs> or your favorite plant, or one of each. Um, that that's tough for me because my first answer I just want to say my dog, because I mean he's the man. So I can understand that. <laughs> he seems like a reasonable answer to me. Yeah, but it's I feel like it's a, I don't know a cop out. It's like it's the only animal I hang out with every day, so of course it's my favorite. And it's not a fish. Yeah, <laughs> but um, in all honesty. I don't really have a favorite animal because my interests kind of are seasonal. So my favorite animal is sort of seasonal. Uh, summertime, I really enjoy uh, going out and fishing. So if you asked me this in three months, I'd say my favorite animal is like a spawning cutthroat trout or something. that You can go catch a big, bright, colored up cutthroat. Um, and then if you asked me in the in the fall, I'd probably say, an elk, because it's fun to go out elk hunting, and even just being around the elk rut is just is, is pretty cool. So, 
So it sounds like your interest in in the natural world is both personal and professional. Yeah, definitely. Which I think is, for a lot of us, is the best place to be because it means that we get to work where we play and play where we work. Definitely. I mean, you got to do what you love, right? Absolutely. Those of us that are lucky enough to do that, yeah. Well, Jake, thanks so much for taking time to to talk with us today. Um, I wish you the best with your work in Yellowstone Lake and um, and with your studies at Montana State University. And and I really hope that you find some interesting things with with the work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks so much. So to all you out there, thanks for listening to today's Voices for Conservation Science, and please spread the word about this podcast. <laughs>